I've taken the road less traveled and I've just used uh, my creativity to over, overcome challenges. So I just look at challenges as opportunities. And I, I know people say that, but I look at them as creative opportunities as a way to show off my creativity. So that's kind of my thing. Episode 139 is super fine. Oh yeah, I came up with that on my own. <laughs> Come on. What's up, ladies? Welcome to Biz Women Rock. This is your home for incredibly inspirational business stories from business women all over the world. I'm Katie Kremitzos, and I'm so happy you're here. Before we get rolling, here's a little word from our awesome sponsor. The most savvy business women know that their marketing has to stay fresh and relevant. That's where Postcard Mania comes in. From direct mail, email marketing, to Google pay-per-click, Postcard Mania provides proven strategies that produce results for your business. Get started today with a thousand free postcards at postcardmania.com forward slash bizwomenrock. Holy cow, you are in for a treat today. I am, you know, I always record these intros like right after I get off the phone with um, my guest and it's because like, okay, I have the energy, I can kind of introduce them in a really cool way. And I am like bouncing off the walls right now, and I know you will be too after this conversation. This is Alexandra Watkins. She's the founder of Eat My Words. It is a branding company. She really helps companies come up with the names of their companies, um, their entire brand, and really great taglines to describe them. So you would think like, okay, coming up with a company name, that's not really hard. You will immediately see why this woman is so talented and um, why she's built a tremendous company, basically naming companies and being very targeted in what she's great at and building a company out of that. She's also the author of a book called Hello, My Name is Awesome that has just, as of the moment of this recording, which is December 15th of 2014, just has been named by Inc., one of the top 10 marketing books of the entire year. All I got to tell you is that I got so many takeaways from this conversation, and I know you will too, so let's go. Alexandra, what's going on, girl? Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I've really been looking forward to this. Eat my words. Okay, if anyone has the name of a business <laughs> and anyone's business is helping companies come up with names and subtitles that really clinch, Eat My Words is the perfect name for that, I got to say. So, you know, the number one rule as far as, um, you know, being really good at what you do is doing it for yourself. So you have succeeded in that very, very well. I want to let everyone know about your business journey. And in order to start that, I would love to know, um, because I off the side definitely know that you have not lived, you know, on the, the normal path. I would love to know how you got started in entrepreneurialism. Like where did this whole kind of creative business bug really start? Okay, so I'm 50 years old, so we're going to have to rewind a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, for the longest time, I had the nine-to-five corporate job. I love working to get a paycheck, uh, having weekends off, getting paid vacation, paid sick time. 
that was all good. And I kind of fell into this by accident. I was working at a big ad agency and as a copywriter, writing ads, and they were very generous. I had a six-figure salary. I had three weeks of vacation a year, which by American standards is generous. Right. But my boyfriend at the time had six months off a year because he was a musician with the San Francisco Opera. So I asked if I could buy vacation time, and they said no. So I quit my job to become a freelancer. And back then, this is, gosh, this is, this is in 1998, I think, and entrepreneur wasn't a word that you heard very often. I was just going to have my own business as a freelancer thinking, okay, you know, I'll make less money, but I'm going to have more time to travel. Well, my timing was impeccable. The dot-com gravy train was just taking off, and so I actually ended up making twice as much money and taking three months off a year to travel. Nice. So that worked well, and then you know, I rode the dot-com gravy train till it crashed in my backyard. <laughs> I took a year I took a year off. I went traveling around Australia, Bali, Fiji, and New Zealand. And that gave me a lot of time to reflect on what I did want to do and what I didn't want to do. And when I came back, I decided that I didn't want to work as a copywriter writing any more technology copy. San Francisco, Bay Area is a hotbed for technology. Uh, I know how to write it, but it didn't excite me. I wasn't passionate about it. So I decided that I would just write uh, about or write copy for food and beverage. And that's where the name Eat My Words came from. So I started out doing ads and names and taglines uh, for things that make people fat and drunk. <laughs> What a life. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I was still, but I still wasn't an entrepreneur yet. I was, I was a freelancer. But what happened is I, I, I really got this bug that I needed to name things. I was very, very good at it. It paid really well. And it's what excited me more than anything else. I just loved it. So I eventually stopped writing regular just copy, brochures, websites, and I just morphed into names and taglines. And that's, and you know, Eat My Words came up, had been around for a little bit. And then I just was very focused. I started working for different branding firms, uh, doing names for them. But I really realized I wanted to have my own big clients. So what happened is I started working for big clients and I was getting a lot of work and I needed to hire somebody to help me out. And at the time, I was doing the live work thing. I have a live work loft south of Market in San Francisco, which is a stone's throw from Pinterest, Zynga, and Airbnb, which of course it wasn't at the time. This is a long time ago. But I, I got busy, so I had to hire someone. And all of a sudden, I had somebody working in my bedroom, which was totally weird. So... I became a business and an entrepreneur kind of out of necessity and a little bit by accident. So I never had a business plan. I didn't say I'm going to grow this big company and it was never my intention to, but I just started getting, you know, I had to hire someone and then I moved out of here and I, now I, I live down the street and I use this as my, just exclusively as my office now, but I started to hire people and I was like, all of a sudden it was like, Hey, this is a legitimate business, and yeah, I, I guess I've always been a little entrepreneurial in that uh, I'm 
kind of fearless about that. And I just never questioned myself if I could do it. So to uh, answer a short question with a very long answer, <laughs> that's kind of it. Well, one of the things that I have such a huge question in my mind is that how are you presenting what you do to your clients? Because when you think about like a name, I know it's a brand. I know it's something so much bigger than just the words that are there. But, you know, I would imagine it's hard for somebody to see that that's a whole in-depth process versus, hey, just throw some ideas out. We can have a brainstorm session for 30 minutes and be done and want to want to pay you for that versus like a very in-depth, you know, process that you do. So, how have you been able to present what you do to clients that's been successful in a way that they see the true value of this whole branding and naming um, experience? Well, to be honest, I don't have to do a lot of explaining. It's, it's when people go to our website and they see just a very impressive portfolio of work, they get it. And we do, you know, I do consulting for 45 minutes at a time on the phone. And because I've been doing this for 10 years, I have a wealth of, you know, experience working on every single kind of product and company name you could ever imagine. So I'm able to tap into that when I'm doing my consulting brainstorming calls. So sometimes it is really quick, but the longer process, the the reason that it, you know, people are investing in a name and a brand, it's it's like a tattoo. It's going to last forever, so you better like it. There's no reason to hurry with it. We, the reasons, a lot of times clients will say, well, can I, so our, our average uh, price package is $17,500 and you get a hundred names in the first round and people will say, can I just get 10 names for like $2,000? And it doesn't work that way. In order to come up with 10 good names, we have to come up with, you know, 50 names first. And we, the way that we work is to get 10 names we might, like, let's say I was naming a frozen yogurt store and I was just ideating around the word cold, right? So I was coming up with names like Frigid and Siberia and uh, Polarized and Goosebumps. That's just me ideating around one word, cold. But I have to do a much deeper dive than just looking at one word. So those first 10 words that I come up with, that's not really doing diligence. That's just looking in one spot. And I have many, many more places to look as do everybody on my team or as does everyone on my team. Right. Because I mean, you really have to look into what is what is their culture? What is the experience they want their customer to have? You know, all of that stuff goes into the brand and the name. It's I mean, it's huge. And I, I want to use this opportunity to talk and really identify how good you are because... <laughs> As I was going through your website and I was, um, you know, looking over some of the brands that you've done, you have, and this is very specific, you have like um, rehab, which is, um, and the tagline is like, get your fix. That's a frozen yogurt place. So that's definitely not, you know, the using the cold and chilled type of words to be able to, to do that. Um, you have hand job nail spa, which was one that made me laugh out loud. And, um, you know, I guess what I want to get at is that you, everything that I see that you do, all of these names and brands that I've, that I saw are so out of the box and funny and memorable. Do you ever get any resistance as far as like some boundaries? I mean, having, having a nail spa called hand job, you know, that's a little out, that's a little pushing the boundaries on that. So, 
what is your experience with clients when you're really, you know, coming up with some ideas that are really funny and they want to name it, you know, San Francisco Nails nail Spa? You know, what do you do with that? Sure. Well, nobody comes to us wanting a safe name, right? right. There's plenty of other naming firms that go that do pedestrian uh, kind of safe descriptive names. Handjob is an anomaly. That is a... <laughs> It's uh, it's in the Castro, which is San Francisco's gayest, or I should say, most gay friendly. All of our neighborhoods are, are gay friendly neighborhoods, but it's it's the kind of the mecca, the most gay friendly. It's where Harvey Milk had his camera store, so that that name works in the Castro. It would not work anywhere else, nor would I recommend it for anywhere else. <laughs> maybe maybe Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood, but no, we uh, we are very conscious of who the audience is and if we're working with a law firm for instance or an insurance company we're going to do a safer name and we when we're having clients fill out what's called a creative brief we ask them to give us examples of 10 names that they collectively like and 10 that they collectively dislike and we're able to gauge their level of playfulness by what they put on that list no one ever wants a name like Handjob. Everyone, though, <laughs> people love the name of the frozen yogurt store that we named Spoon Me, oh and gosh, a lot I of people <laughs> want a lot of people want Spoon Me. And by the way, we've named three frozen yogurt stores. So Rehab, as you mentioned, which is a, in a mall in New York, and you know the teens love to tell their parents, "I'm going to rehab," and then. <laughs> Spoon Me, which has uh, is a full-on frozen yogurt franchise. They make a lot of money selling brand- branded merchandise with their name on it. Like uh, their best-selling T-shirt says "Shut Up and Spoon Me." That's funny. And I met a guy the other day at a conference uh, for my publisher had a, a retreat for the authors of uh, my publishing company, and one of them met his uh, had his first date with his wife at a Spoon Me, and that made me so happy. <laughs> And then the other one we named is Self-Serve Frozen Yogurt, and this one's in Tennessee, and we named it Vincent Van Yo, and the tagline is Make Your Own Masterpiece. That's great. Very, very creative. Okay, so I wanted you to say some of that because it's obvious, and I wanted... Uh, I wanted everyone to hear, like, this is definitely a skill. This is definitely what you're meant to do. (laughs) Yeah. And I also want to jump to how this relates to your website. I got to say, you know, I look at a lot of people's websites. I'm constantly taking in... And I've, you know, I've project manages, managed for many of my own websites. And your website just bowled me away as soon as I looked at it. It's very, very user-friendly, very colorful. Um, talk a little bit about your strategy with the website and what kind of, like, what kind of results that you've gotten because of the website. Well, thank you for all those compliments. I'm absolutely in love with our website. This is probably the fifth version of it that I've had over the years. I mean, when I started out, I didn't have a lot of work. I came out of advertising. I didn't have any names in my portfolio. So this has just been a work in progress. I love this design. The whole idea here is just to, I used to be a direct response copywriter. So I'm really good at getting people to take action and dive in. And most people that come to us have spent hours on our website because they read every page. It's so entertaining. And because of my background as a direct response copywriter and as an advertising copywriter, I I mean, that's just 
I have such a skill at writing good, tight, fun, entertaining copy. And that's how I got a book deal is the publisher approached me because they had seen my website and said, hey, have you ever thought about writing a book? Your, your uh, writing, is, your style is so fun, especially in business where it's so serious. So, yeah, the website, we've, I've just played around with it a lot. I've tried to make it look like total eye candy where you just want to go exploring you know, I just have really fun images. Because of my advertising background, I'm really good at picking great stock photos. I know where to get everything. And I just work with really good designers and smart people to, you know, build it out under the hood, too. Well, we're going to talk about your book in just a second because um, it's a huge piece of this conversation. But I want to kind of draw us back to the fact that you, you know, have built up this company. You're getting people to work for you. You're getting many people to work for you because you're dealing with so many clients. Um, and then at some point, you make a decision not to do that, like not to have as big of a team anymore. So can you give us a little bit of that kind of snapshot, like before you were, you know, when the company was bigger as far as like how many people worked for you and then why you decided to make that decision? Sure. So as I said, the company grew organically. It's not like I started out saying I'm going to have a big company. And the busier we got, the more people I hired. So I was up to kind of like five of us, uh, which isn't a lot, but for, for me that it was just little me in my loft. Like all of a sudden, you know, I got office space with a killer view and on the Embarcadero. Um, and it was really exciting and fun. And, you know, it was impressive to have clients come over and see our cool conference room and our great view. Uh, and it went, it was going really, really well. We were having, you know, making a lot of money. And my, one of my employees got engaged and she became disengaged with work and totally engaged with planning her wedding. And I just was starting to notice that I was working every weekend and nobody else really cared about the business like I did. And it kind of, that kind of the big epiphany for me was I was working one weekend and I got a phone call and it was someone who had found one of my employees purses up in Napa Valley 
And she had left it behind, and the woman had found her business card and called, and I was at work and answered the phone. And it was just this revelation of, oh, my God, she goes away every single weekend and does something so cool and fun, and I'm here every weekend. And that was just this, like, you know, why, why am I doing this? Why do I even have employees? I had so many contractors working for me that I didn't have to pay them just to sit there if we weren't busy. So... I let go of my employees. I moved the office back to the loft in Soma, which I bought in 1995 for a ridiculously cheap price. So my mortgage is so inexpensive. So I dramatically reduced the rent. My overhead's very low. And now I just use my contractors and they've remained so loyal. And this is just a better business model for me. Nobody needs to name anything eight hours a day. And I have a gal that works for me in Toronto, Gina, who's been my creative director now for eight years. And she uh, she does all the she takes all the incoming calls. She does all of the sales and writes up all the contracts. She manages most of the projects, and uh, that's worked out really well for both of us. And then I have um, a woman named Emily who's fantastic. She is my she was my summer intern. She worked at Spoon Me in corporate five years ago and has always known about Eat My Words, talked her way into an internship last summer, and she's back in Utah now, but I still, we work with her every day. So I've been able to build a, a, a virtual team, but they're very loyal, and I also have maybe 10 freelance namers around the country, and we have a great camaraderie with each other. It's not competitive. We all help each other. It's it's uh, everybody loves being part of Eat My Words. It's, it's like I'll tell you, it's cool to say that you name things and get paid to do it. That's the <laughs> ultimate. Well, and I really appreciate you bringing that story up because I think it's very important. I think our natural inclination and our natural path is taught that the more the bigger you get, the more employees you need, and you'll get bigger because of that. And and it's not really that. I think what I'm hearing you say throughout your entire journey has always been like, what is the lifestyle I want? Yeah. What, how do I want to spend my time? What do I love doing? And then let me, you know, create something customized out of that. And it doesn't have to look like bigger, you know, it can be bigger in different ways. So, um, so so you've been really happy since you made that transition. It's been a really great thing for your business. And then you get somebody coming through on your website, loving it and saying, hey, you should write a book. Talk a little bit about that process. I was so flattered to get that letter it, or the email from Barrett Kohler Publishers, which is a really good independent book publisher. For uh, those of you who read a lot of business books, you would know uh, Eat That Frog or Confessions of the Economic Hitman or Love Them or Lose Them. They've done some great titles. And I was flattered. I did not want to write a book. My parents were authors. I know that writing books, there's it's a lot of work. It's not a lot of money. I really, really was resistant to the idea. I'm not quite sure how I finally caved in and said yes. But uh, the, I did a lot of research on the publisher. They had checked out really well. They had a fantastic reputation. And... They, you know, they really wanted me. They made it easy for me. I barely had to write a proposal. I wrote one sample chapter, and they just, you know, they made it. So I was excited to work on it. I worked every single weekend for three months straight. Got my draft in, and there was very little I had to do to it to change it. And uh, I 
I cannot believe how much mileage I've gotten out of writing the book. It even I started promoting the book like the the day I signed my contract. I announced it on Facebook that I got a book deal with Barrett Kohler. I was asking people for title ideas, and I took everybody along for the ride with me. And so that way, when my book launched. Uh, the, the first day on Amazon, it, well, it went to number one in its category and it had, I believe 23 reviews the first day it launched because wow. people had been with me along for the ride and I had sent out all these advanced copies and now it has 63 reviews on Amazon. It's only been out three months, which is unheard of to have that many, but what's really crazy, it has 63 reviews 61 of those are five-star reviews, and two of them are four-star reviews. Nice. Man, yeah. that's incredible. And then I do want to, to put this cherry on top, is that <laughs> Inc. just named you as one of the top 10 marketing books of 2014. I yeah. mean, amazing, huge. And so, uh, so now we're all waiting for the title of the book. Go ahead and name the title of your book. Tell us what it is. It's Hello, My Name is Awesome, How to Create Brand Names That Stick. So you definitely have to go get the book because it's amazing and ju- and um, just from everything that you've heard so far, it's obvious. It's so obvious, Alexandra, that you know what you're talking about, and I'm really excited to to see this. So, um, talk a little bit about how that book has actually affected your business and affected your brand. Well, I think the most important thing is I I didn't go to college. I skipped college when I was in eighth grade. I knew I wanted to be in advertising. I did not want to sit in a classroom for four more years after I graduated, and I was somehow able to, like, you know, take the road less traveled, get a job at Ogilvy and Mather, work there for five years, and, you know, I was on my way. But the book has been incredible validation for me that I do have the knowledge, even though I don't have the pedigree, no degree, no degree in Latin, no degree in linguistics, like, you know, a traditional namer would have, and when ink put it on the top 10 marketing books of 2014 list. I mean, that that was just extreme validation. Uh, you know, trademark attorneys really like it. I've been, you know, encouraged to speak at trademark attorney conferences. When, when attorneys are, you know, loving the material and liking the book a lot, I, I think that passes a huge test. And I, I was already doing quite a bit of speaking at MBA programs, but... Now I'm doing more and just getting the book endorsed by Tony Shea from Zappos and the dean of the USF School of Management from a marketing professor at the Stanford Grad School. Those endorsements are endorsement of my book, but they're also an endorsement of me and my expertise. And that's what the book has given me, extreme confidence. Mm. How did you get those endorsements? Oh, okay. So my endorsements, the first endorsement I got was from Dan Heath of the Heath Brothers, uh, who wrote my favorite business book, Made to Stick. I had I had seen Chip Heath, his brother, speak years ago, and I was inspired by him to create, they have an acronym in their book, Success. I needed an acronym for Eat My Words, so I created the Smile and Scratch Test, which is a 12-point name evaluation test. Uh, 
based on my philosophy that a name should make you smile instead of scratch your head. So I had let the Heath brothers know that years ago and kept in touch with them. So that one was just, I had an existing relationship, but even when you ask for an endorsement, they still have to like your book. Right. right. <laughs> and then, um, Charlene Lee, she's a very, uh, you know, a, a thought leader. She is one of my clients. I named her company altimeter group. So that was kind of, and she offered to endorse it. And then, uh, uh, Christian Wheeler from Stanford uh, Business School. He, I had been speaking to his class. I, you know, I asked him to. He said, "Yeah." Pretty much everybody said yes. But it's it's all about having the relationships ahead of time, and uh, that that's what really helped. But yeah, just you know, Tony Shea from Zappos. Like, you know, again, like an endorsement from him is an endorsement of my book, of me, and my company, and that's tremendous. How I'd like to ask how you, as a branding woman, um, use social media. Like, how, what are the what are some of the strategies that you actually use social media for your own brand? Okay, I'm going to tell you all. This is a huge epiphany I had, and this is how I want to explain it to you. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Oh boy, okay? go ahead. Okay, and now, now. Katie, you don't have to answer these, or you can, or you can just oh. help your, your listeners can be answering them, but I'll ask you. Gotcha. Okay. What percentage of your Twitter feed do you read every day? Oh, very little percent. Like one. Okay. <laughs> okay. What percentage of your Facebook feed do you read every day? A uh, heck of a lot more. Probably like, uh, oh, probably like 70, 70. Okay. Okay. And what percentage of your LinkedIn updates do you read? Never. Okay. Vivica Von Rossen is going to kill me right now. <laughs> I okay. never, if anyone ever tries to get me on LinkedIn, you're going to wait forever. I'm so sorry. I just, I oh. don't love being there. So anyway, oh. no, like hardly oh, I ever. love, I love LinkedIn. They're coming over <laughs> here for a photo shoot in January. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Here's the epiphany. Ready? Yeah. How much of your email do you read? Just, even if you just don't open it, but even if you just scan the subject line, how much of your email do you read? A hundred percent. There you go. Yeah. That's the epiphany. That's why I believe so strongly in email marketing. And I got that tip from a a great guy named Tim Grawl, who wrote this fantastic little book called Your First 1000 Copies. He does all the book marketing for people like Daniel Pink and the Heath Brothers. And that book is about, it's a, you can buy it as a little ebook. It's about marketing a book, but the rules apply to everything. And it was such an eye opener. So I just stick with email marketing because the Twitter, Twitter, I, I tried Twitter for a while. I have a Twitter handle. Twitter's how I found out about the ink.com thing because I was getting, I saw my book sales were really up and I went on Twitter and I had all these congratulations. I'm like, what's that? So um, I think it, it worked a little bit for the book. It's great for getting in touch with someone directly, but not, you know, no, for promoting the business, um, the email newsletter. And again, back to my direct response days, I'm really good at writing a subject line that gets open. I, you know, I've had consistently over a 50% open rate of the newsletters I send out. Here's another tip. Don't ever call it a newsletter. Second you call it a newsletter, especially in the subject line, it will be deleted. Never call it a newsletter. And don't send it out on a regular basis. Only send it out when you have news. Do not feel obligated to. There's a fantastic author named Laura Stack who wrote the book, What to Do When There's Too Much to Do. And she used to consistently send out her newsletter every month. And she finally decided she was going to stop sending it. Only one person noticed. So, really? 
Yeah, but I get more compliments and I get more response to my email newsletter. And even when I just got the ink, the top 10 thing on ink, I just to know that 1800 people saw, I saw there was 1800 people that just, that opened it. But for all the, you know, the 3000 other people that didn't open it, I do know that they at least saw it, saw it in the subject line, right. which is enough. Right. So um, I have to ask you this, though, with with email marketing being so important to you, I noticed that your opt in on your website is on like the bottom right corner. Why do you do that versus well, the top? I know because because I, I, I think <laughs> <laughs> I'm just because, curious, like I'd love to know I'm if not, you have a strategy behind that. No, no, this is the strategy. So first and foremost, OK, this is my strategy, really. Most people. I'd say 95% of the people that come to our website, maybe even more, can't afford us. Gotcha. Okay, Everyone can afford to spend $1,000 to hire me as a consultant to mm-hmm. either review names or give you strategic direction or do a little brainstorming on the phone. But for the most part, most people can't. And those are the people that want to download our free naming tips. If you are a client calling from a big company, Nike, Frito-Lay, Microsoft, you don't need those naming tips. You just want to hire me. And that's why the newsletter opt-in is at the bottom. Because to me, the most important thing that I know, that I know what people like on our website. The number one thing people like to see are before and after name transformations. Mm-hmm. So Because that's dramatic, right? It's like seeing a makeover on TV. Like, wow. Or right. in O Magazine. Like, oh, I can't believe how, how unattractive this person was and now how beautiful that's how our names are too we've had some we've started out with some pretty unattractive names that clients have had and we've transformed them into really cool hip fun names the other thing i have is my book with you know the quote by uh dan heath saying Mm -hmm. you are nuts to name your company or product without first consulting this book okay (laughs) even if someone can't afford me or my company, they can buy the book. So below the line, that's the email pop-up. Also, I think when you start jumping around on the site, it will pop up on a secondary page. And by the way, this is another thing I learned from Tim Grawl's book is that the email pop-up is resistant as we all are to putting them on our site. They're really, it's like, you know, what happens when you get one? They work, you you exit out or they work. And yeah, it's great. So um, yeah, I just put, you know, it's working for me right now. And yeah, like I said, the 10 amateur naming mistakes and how to avoid them. A company that's going to spend 45 grand to hire us doesn't need to download that or subscribe to my email newsletter. Right. All right. So I want to go ahead and conclude by transitioning into your favorite five. Are you ready? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So the very first question, you've mentioned a few of these already, but what would be your favorite book? My favorite book is that every woman should read is called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. And it tells you how to trust your instincts and your gut. And uh, once you read that book, you'll just, you'll be super important, but it's good for protecting yourself from, um, and from people that wouldn't be good to have in your life, whether it could be a, future bad employee, or somebody you might be in a relationship with. Gotcha. Great. Okay. How about one of your favorite tech tools, like something that makes your life easier? This is the greatest app ever. It's called Refresh. It helps you refresh your memory. So yeah. 
Do you know it? No, I've never heard oh of it. Goodness. I need this. this is so, it's so good. Okay, so let's say I have a meeting at uh, 4 o'clock today with Susie Small. At 3 o'clock, I'll get a ping on my phone, and it will say, here's, here's information for your upcoming meeting on Susie Small. It will show me everything, her LinkedIn profile, our email correspondence, who, her, who she's in a relationship with. Whatever is online about her, it's going to show me. Uh, it is so fantastic. I did this the other day. This woman come over. I knew um, I knew where she went to school. I knew uh, it refreshed my memory of the last thing we said in an email. It's so helpful. And then after you meet with the person, it will ping again, and it will say, "Did you learn any interesting insights today about Susie?" And then you can just jot those down. So the next time you have it come up, and it's 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 scary the way that it like. It pulls the picture of the person up. You're like, how does it even know who, like, what this person looks like? But it, wow. it does. So yeah, refresh. I highly recommend it. Nice. I love that. Okay, very cool. Whew. Um, okay, number three is what is one of your favorite ways to unwind? Uh, I well, unwind. Okay, I like to. I just like to read. I know that's kind of corny, but I just like to sit down with a magazine and read. I am staring at a computer computer all day. Uh, and, you know, wordplay. I love to do anagrams. It's another thing. Even though I'm back on the computer, I like to take people's names and then see what words I can make with them. Very cool. Um, okay, number four, what is one of your favorite ways to celebrate? Hmm. Well, I'm not much of a drinker. I don't party, even though we have a marijuana name. We have a we're naming a cannabis brand right now. Um, <laughs> celebrate! <laughs> don't you have to try product in order to really understand your clients? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but yeah, not really a fit. Yeah, our client doesn't smoke it either. It's pretty funny. That's hilarious. Um, celebrate! Like, I don't know. Like I, when something I, great I like, happens, what do you do? I like to um, buy myself something. Nice. Yeah. Buy myself something. Uh, anything in particular? I, like, I love honeysuckle candles, gardenia candles, any candle, any like a really expensive candle. Nice. That okay. smells good. Yeah. Okay. And the last question, watch out. This is a scorcher. What is your favorite kind of sweet or your favorite like indulgence? Uh, oh, peanut butter. Anything with peanut butter. I love peanut butter. In fact, I love peanutbutter.com is a domain name. <laughs> <laughs> that I wrote about in my book because I saw it at the fancy food show and I've never forgotten it. That's so yeah, nice. peanut, anything with peanut butter, I can't keep it in the house. And, uh, <laughs> What's your yeah. favorite brand of peanut butter? Jif. Oh yeah? Jif. Yes. I once survived on a jar of Jif peanut butter on a remote island in Lake Titicaca, Peru for two days. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've been to 45 countries and that is also another way that I unwind is just go traveling somewhere crazy. I've been to Libya... Cuba, Zimbabwe. I was nice. trying to go to North Korea, but now with the Sony thing, I like that entire plan has been scrapped. But yeah, I like big adventure. Love it. Love it. Well, Alexander, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I learned a lot and uh, definitely have a, a lot to go kind of rework in my business. My gosh, I, that's what I love about these conversations. It's like, oh, that's a great idea. Oh, that's a great idea. I love that she did that. So thank you so much for giving so much great information and for sharing about your journey. It's been amazing. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Katie. 
bizwomenrock.com forward slash 139 is where you will find all of the show notes for this conversation. Wasn't she amazing? I just want to point out one little thing that I, that I didn't get to like come back at her with because the flow of the conversation just kept going was that she, when she was in corporate, she asked if she could buy vacation time. I loved that. I just thought that that was so apropos for who she is. Um, so many great nuggets out of there. One is that if you do something very, very well, like have an amazing website and write really great stuff, people will come to you for opportunities. Uh, like somebody just came to her, really great publisher just came to her to write a book. Um, and I, I just thought that that was wonderful. I hope you got something great out of this like I did. Um, and more importantly, I hope that you're going to go implement it. And I would love to hear how you do. Have a great day and I'll see you on the next episode. 